Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove, not Ryan Bailey, and I'm joined by a man who is usually joined by Ryan Bailey. Yeah. His name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello. I'm used to doing Weekend Review, like having to host it, so having to do the introduction. I was yes. not ready for you to do the intro, and I enjoyed it very much. You almost said hello at the same time. I really did. So Ryan was running mm. the LA Marathon. Yep. Um, or... En Espanol, La Marathon. Well done. That's nice Spanish by you. <laughs> he was. Uh, I believe he is on a plane back right now. He said he finished but is paying for it today. And I have to imagine being super sore and then crammed into an airplane probably yeah. doesn't feel terrific. I mean, it's better than um, the, <laughs> the what, what was it, the uh, school day run that he did where oh, he yes. fell over? <laughs> what was that? I'm, I'm blanking on the uh, name. I think it was just like like a field day. Like your yeah. like parents come, you have like uh, all these different events and stuff. Yeah, and, and he, he did famously a, fell before the final hurdle. A, par- a parental race <laughs> ended in shame. Shame for Ryan Bailey. But he finished the LA Marathon. Well done to Ryan Bailey. It's just short distances he can't handle. Long distances <laughs> are fine. Um, so I am here, and you we are. have lots to talk about. We do. On today's show, here's the rundown, Tyler. We've Give got me that it, rundown. We've got it on the chortboard because there's too much to keep in my yep. little head. It's the Manchester Derby. It's Liverpool-Bournemouth. It's Juve-Inter. Mm-hmm. All of those have big title race implications. Yep. Then we're going to talk Olympic mm-hmm. qualifying. The men's Olympic qualifying roster has been named, 20 names. Lots of omissions, mm-hmm. lots of uh, surprise inclusions, some might say. Mm-hmm. Really excited to talk about that. Then we're going to talk about Americans scoring goals in Europe. Weston McKenney and Josh Sargent both scored with their left foot. I, I'm, I, I know. I'm excited to talk <laughs> about it. I'm excited to talk the, about the omissions. Omissions are when you leave the Amish out. Is that right? Omissions are when you leave out just uh, individual players. There were lots of omissions. There you go. Um, and then the US, <laughs> US women beat Spain yeah. 1-0 in the She Believes Cup mm-hmm. to put them in what I'm going to call pole position to finally win back the She Believes Cup from those terrible, terrible English. Of course. I don't like <laughs> that you self-identified as terrible, yes. There we go. I like to get in first before you go. I appreciate that. <laughs> Should we start with the Manchester Let's do it. So this had big title race Mm -hmm. implications if you think there's still a title race. Yes. Um, I would say, spoiler alert, Manchester United beating Manchester City 2-0 really does mean the title race is is over. And it's also just big news for Manchester United. Yes, I mean, yeah. I, I think both of those are very much correct. Uh, yeah, for Manchester United, I think getting the result, proving that, like, for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, who's had a very up and down, mostly down, yeah. uh, season, I think to get the result probably solidifies his position a little bit more. It did mm-hmm. feel like the chemistry was there, and I think the opposite of that is true for Man City, that I think you could see just, like, a lack of urgency, and maybe you would have seen if it were a little bit closer of a race. Yep, I also, I went into this um, as a Wolves fan, mm-hmm. looking at Wolves versus Manchester United mm-hmm. for that fifth spot, which might be a Champions League spot if mm-hmm. Man City are definitely banned from the Champions League next season. I kind of thought Wolves will beat Brighton, United will lose to City. Mm-hmm. This could be a chance to get a three-point yeah. lead on, on United. And instead, Wolves drew in one of the most sort of well-organised and boring games of the Premier League weekend, and they'll with Brighton. And then United get three points, so now they're two points ahead of Wolves. Yeah. Our, our, friend, our friend and colleague Sam Tai on the BR Football Ranks podcast made a very convincing argument last week for why it would be Wolves who get the final Champions League spot yeah. or get the fourth spot, maybe the fifth spot. We'll see what happens with the uh, City appeal. And I really agree with a lot of what he said, especially about the well-organised defence. You kind of know what Wolves are going to do. They're consistent, even when they're not... Like high flying, they're still yeah. consistent. But to watch this game this weekend, I, I, as a Man United fan, have a bit more optimism about the way this season shapes out because it felt like there were certain patterns that had finally kind of clicked and were working much better than they have earlier in the year. All right, well, let's get into it then because what we've sure. done is we've watched this game mm-hmm. separately. We played a game together this weekend. We, did. we didn't watch any football together. We did not, and we haven't compared notes. Did we not? No, I guess we didn't because right. we were in DC. Yeah, we mm-hmm. haven't compared notes. So I'm interested to get your take on the sure. Manchester derby. Then we'll get my take. Have right. that. All right. Yeah. So what were the patterns that you saw that you were you think are finally clicking into place um I, well there was 
one there's one like outlet ball that it felt like they had sort of studied Man City and learned from. Uh, but like the broader one would be the back three that is sort of a back three, but is really a back five. But it allows Aaron Wan Basaka to get forward and be very attacking and sort of being the late arriving runner. Yeah. It allows Luke Shaw to pop out defensively and sort of track too. people and knock people off the ball and do yeah. what he needs to do. It gives him a lot of defensive freedom. I don't He's think like he was... He's like a left center back yes. who's allowed to just charge into midfield and make a tackle if exactly. he feels like Yeah, it, right? it's basically, I think he's... And then the young lad, is it Williamson? Brandon Williams. Brandon Williams, mm-hmm. sorry, is, had, takes care of the whole left flank. Yeah. Not entirely successfully, but no. he was definitely present and took the weight of it off of Luke Shaw. Yes. I did find myself wondering, like, who's a good left wing back <laughs> that <laughs> maybe honestly, we'll be looking for a new club? I feel like Williams put in a really yeah. sort of honest, mm-hmm. hard work in, never let you down in terms of effort or honesty, even if he had a few weird touches. Yes. And I'm not even saying that as an as an insult. I was quite impressed with it in a weird mm-hmm. way. Yeah, but I, I think um, you had told me a little bit uh, about like what your perceptions were on this game uh, before I watched it. And so that did factor into the way I, I sort of observed it because I didn't watch it live, so I knew the results. So then I could sort of just see what was happening. Yeah, yeah. And there were moments uh, when I was like, oh, yeah, Daryl was completely right. And there were moments when I thought you were wrong, and then you were right. So well done to you. <laughs> but the directness of United's play was one of the things that you had sort of spotlighted when we talked about this game. Yeah, I think basically the plan for United was... Every time we get the ball back, just go mm-hmm. direct over the top, get Martial in behind, yep. or get Danny James running down the right wing. Yep. Right? And especially, I think, Anthony Martial picked on Fernandinho mm-hmm. a little bit, and they would just get the ball over the top, in behind, for Martial to outpace Fernandinho. Yep. Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right about Daniel James as well. I think he he's probably the Man United player who had the worst game. He was yeah. the one who seemed to be getting the most attention, both from the coaching staff and his teammates, about his positioning, where he needed to be, some of his decision-making. Yeah. Inability that, to square a ball that should have been squared. That seems consistent things. to me. I think he's really great at like mm-hmm. motoring down that right wing and outpacing people. Yeah. And then the ball across is often sometimes the wrong yeah. ball, sometimes it's a shot when it shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. He's like last year's Adama Traore. Yeah. Uh, really yeah, uh, yeah, that makes sense to me. Cause, and, and I'm not conflating the two because I know Martial has the one that he probably should have squared but didn't. But Daniel James, I think it is that final ball that you don't really see come off a lot of the times, mm-hmm. to your point about Traore. But it's not like I would say his delivery isn't even erratic. It feels like it's a lot of times he uses that pace and then sort of picks his head up and realizes, oh, no one is around and then has to try to figure it out from there. And I feel what you want in a pacey player like that is to figure out that there's no one around 20 or 30 yards before that ends up happening. So then you can kind of improvise or make something happen or cut back. I absolutely agree. But Mm. I think um, for what United are doing, it's kind of good enough that he's a constant pacey threat because they just have that then on both sides. right? It's Martial Mm. down the left and it's Danny James down the right. It doesn't matter how many passes Man City put together. Mm -hmm. As soon as United win the ball back, they can go. They can go every time and it's a threat every time. And one of the things that I really enjoyed, I've already alluded to it, but whenever Man United would uh, have a goal kick or would sort of be moving around their their back line, inevitably it would go back to David De Gea and the three center backs such as they were would end up getting marked off. One of the midfielders who dropped in would also be marked. And the pattern that I noticed was was that Aaron Wan-Bissaka on the right would go forward and then drop back 20 yards and was always there for this chip ball from David De Gea. It's like a big check away check too. Yeah, but it Oh, but because <laughs> over, t- over twenty yards, but he's pulled the defender back, and that defender is now probably marking Daniel James. Mm-hmm. So then it allows Juan Basaka to check back, and he is open. De Gea can hit that ball every time, and it was a way they sort of played out of pressure from Man City. The other telling thing about that kind of pattern, they did it maybe four or five times in the opening twenty minutes, and I kept waiting for it to happen again, so I could be like, "Yep, okay, it's definitely a thing they're doing," and it didn't really happen again for much of the game. And then I realized a big part of that was because Man City had one shot at halftime and really struggled to kind of get anything yeah. that put United on their heels. I do want to talk about the way Manchester United defended, but okay. I feel like now would be a good time to talk about the goals. Because sure. it may be that some people have only seen the goals from this game. Mm-hmm. That free kick. Mm-hmm. So if you haven't seen this, it's Bruno Fernandes um, has a free kick for Manchester United that he's just won, right? Yes. By 
collapsing, kind of, when maybe you didn't need to. I saw contact, but I may have seen contact through uh, red-tinted lenses. Oh, you should stop watching with those red-tinted <laughs> lenses. Um, so Fernando stands over the free kick. Fred is also standing over it, right? Yep. And everybody's lined up sort of towards the far post as if the big diagonal cross mm-hmm. is coming because that's the traditional thing to do. And instead, Martial breaks in behind down the left and Fernandez just lifts it over Man City's defense. Yep. So Martial is in behind. And it's a one-time finish over the shoulder, yeah. which is incredibly impressive. Two other things that I thought were really interesting here. Number one, to your point about Martial breaking in behind, he's standing like almost statuesque, like not moving. And it looks as though he's looking at that back post like, OK, what are we all doing? And then he just goes yeah. in the moment that Bruno Fernandez plays that little chip ball So do you in. think he was faking it? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I think it was definitely a designed thing where he was trying to distract and look like he wasn't really okay. into it. As opposed to if his eyes were like, you could see the whites of his eyes and he was all tense. It was like, I think maybe he's going to be yeah, shooting. Yeah. So he played that one down a little bit. And there's also Fred is, um, he's got one one arm in the air, which uh-huh. tends to indicate far post, yeah. right? And he's shaped to cross it to the far post. But mm-hmm. then Fernandez is just quick, yeah. quick chip, quick chip over the top. And here's, the, here's why I think it's definitely a design play. They tried it earlier. Yeah, they did. tried it in the 10th mm-hmm. minute. Are we thinking of the same yep. one with uh, Danny James? He ends up going wide, but it's basically the same play, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And, and I also think it's that off the free kicks, but then there were two times before the goal, one time after, where it's almost the exact same thing. It's just instead of shooting, Martial brings it down. But there were a bunch of him sort of, if you can imagine him, like jumping through the air to settle the ball with that yeah. first touch to bring it down in the box. And it felt like United... They, yeah, and I think that they had spotted there's going to be a gap in there. We can play him in. He can bring it down and make something mm-hmm. happen or he can shoot first time near post and make something happen that way so I don't like laying into him because mm-hmm. I've, I've recently defended Fernandinho as a centre back mm-hmm. but I really think Martial was able to pick on him in this game and Fernandinho was the one mm-hmm. on this free kick that was a little bit behind the rest yep. of the defenders yeah. he's the one that allowed Martial to get the run like he surprised all the Man City defenders but he would have been offside if not for Fernandinho yeah exactly yeah. Yeah, and I think, I think Martial is... knew right he yeah. saw Fernandinho dropping a little deep I, w- I would assume so but then this is the same Fernandinho who had also just been booked for descent uh, moments before that for this this incident with the free kick so your centre back who's already not a centre back who has some question marks uh, some bigger than others uh, to get that yellow card that's not a thing you want especially not for descent and then I think Rodri P- picks one up like three minutes later so suddenly the two players yeah. you really do not need to have yellow cards both had yellow cards for Man City and things got a little bit worse they sure did let's talk second goal sure. it's right at the end it's in the sort of what 170th mm-hmm. minute no it's like 90, 95th Something minute like that, yeah. right um, it's essentially um, Ederson Man City goalkeeper it was 97th but yeah I think he's in a rush yeah. to just get an attack started because the game's nearly uh-huh. over and they're one goal down so it's kind of understandable mm-hmm. right Ederson throws it out ahead of Mendy who's come on at left back and he just throws it a little too far yeah. ahead. McTominay, who's also recently come on, steps, wins it, and I want to say first time, he just does. places it. He does. In, in step, places it. And I watch this a lot because when you have that sort of finish, it is usually like, oh, the keeper was scrambling. They, like, like the Manuel Neuer style, like slid out to get a foot to it, and then it happened to go yeah, to the yeah. United player, and they were able to finish. You watch it again, and it's Adairson makes that throw, and I think a product of him being Man City's goalkeeper, being aggressive off his line, is that he makes that throw, and then he continues to move forward, and is basically standing almost outside of his box, and then realizes, oh no, this is bad. Yeah. <laughs> but now, because of the angle he's taken, because he's that far out, there's no way he's ever getting to it. It's an excellent finish from Scott McTominay, don't get me wrong. It reminds me of your Dejan Stankovic joke from a while ago yeah. of finishing like that as the, is it a nun hitting you with a ruler? Is that what it was? It doesn't have to be a nun, it's a <laughs> piano teacher. Okay. I've seen like, sort of no. piano teachers who are very strict, yeah. and if you hit the wrong note, they whack, whack you. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what it felt like. And it was Scott McTominay who's been out for a while with injury, so I'm sure he will be fairly happy with that result, even if Man City fans certainly will not. So let's talk about Manchester United's defending. Sure. I was fascinated by this. Mm-hmm. Um, here's, okay, here's my quick take, and let me know if you saw anything different. But hear me out first, mm-hmm. right? 
I would say that I disagree. When Man City were building out from the back, mm-hmm. United would almost go man to man, right? They would have sort of Fernandez would block off the path to Rodri, um, uh, Danny Hammers mm-hmm. and Anthony Martial would take the centre backs. Wan Bissaka and Williams would come up high and block off the full backs, and they would sort of eventually force Man City to go long, and then Harry Maguire would eat Sergio Aguero for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. That yep. really did happen, right? Anytime mm-hmm. they went long, Maguire would just yeah. destroy Aguero, win the ball. And then quick ball over the top, looking in for Martial, doesn't get there, goes to Edison, we start again, yep. right? There's a constant cycle like that. Mm-hmm. I then saw Man City throw a little wrinkle in and be, what if we had Zinchenko drift from left back into central midfield? Mm-hmm. And somehow United adjusted to it. I don't quite know how they did it. I think part of it was Luke Shaw's ability to pop out and sort of crowd the middle if need be. I see. So they send their left back to get numerical superiority mm-hmm. in central midfield. Man United send their left centre back yeah. to match up and yeah. it's still good. Yeah. I think it's that. But then I think the way United were sort of okay with sitting in almost a 4-3-1-2 higher up the field, yeah. uh, which which was basically what you're talking about. It's the two forwards high. It's Bruno Fernandes marking off whatever central. But then I there's still 3-4-1-2, right? Because you've still got the back three. Well, I think that's what I'm saying is one of those other midfielders would then step in and I think like make up a third midfield okay, component. Yeah. And I think like, So that would be maybe Luke Shaw just stepping in a little bit more. So then you still had numbers behind the ball even if it did find a way through. And I think that was also a key component in why City really struggled to get anything going. And then, you know, knocking Raheem Sterling around a little bit, making sure you have a focused defender on him, yeah. that doesn't hurt either. There was definitely the Sterling versus Juan Bissaka mm-hmm. um, matchup that happened down City's left flank, United's right flank. I would say Wambasaka got the best of that. Yes. He stood him up. And actually, Wambasaka does a weird crouch yes, defense does. that you would think was terrible posture, but seems to absolutely work. Mm-hmm. And I want to say that's probably, even though it looks wrong, it's the reason why Wambasaka is able to quickly make those poke tackles yep. and quickly go to ground for what look like risky slide tackles, mm-hmm. but actually aren't. They seem really well-timed and... They can just happen quickly because the mechanics are such that he's already close to the ground. It really that is. right? Yeah, it, it absolutely does. I've said it before. I'll say it again. It really reminds me of like the go-go gadget legs. Yeah. Of somehow he's able to extend the leg like around the player to mm-hmm. get the ball, but without any making, making any contact. His legs go from being however long they are to being like 12 feet long sometimes. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's an impressive feat of physics. The other phase of defense that I'm really interested in for Manchester United is mm-hmm. once Man City did sort of bypass that, like not quite press, but mm-hmm. that like forward pressure that United had, um, they would get to midfield and beyond. And then Man United would pull a lot of people back. Did you hear um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer yelling, DJ, behind the ball, yeah, DJ, yes. behind the ball? That was what I was saying. So, he got yelled at the most of anybody. I heard so a lot of that. Danny yeah. James would have to come back and be part of the mm-hmm. defensive midfield. But they didn't look like they were actually going in a particular shape or man-to-man. Mm-hmm. It seemed like there was always a Man City player open. The Man City player would receive the ball and then a Man United player would yep. come and close them down. And what I don't understand is why... Didn't that lead to Man City cutting Man United to pieces? Mm-hmm. I would think if you always had a Man City player open, like Gundogan seemed to be able to wander into space, receive the ball, mm-hmm. and only then would he be closed down. Why didn't that lead to Man City cutting through United? Is it I, just numbers? I, I, mean, I think it's probably numbers. It's probably the number of bodies in the middle you can sort of make up for. It. Even if you get beat 1v1, you've still got sort of coverage there. But I also think United are well aware that City... Uh, will take shots from distance and are more than capable of that, but tend to prefer to pull somebody out and then somebody else takes that space and then that pass goes in. And now two people converge on that player who's now open. That leaves two other... And like you slowly see the wheels fall off in the defense. That's what City are going for. It's why they do the kind of ticky-tacky so quick passing. So why didn't United's wheels fall off? I think because they didn't have that panic level defending. It okay. wasn't that like, good Duan's open five yards. Like I got to close that down really, really fast. That's when you start to make those mistakes. It's the diving in on Messi and then he cuts around you and I now see. he's wide open so and somebody else has to cover. go to Gundogan 
gun, but they yeah. wouldn't go charging in. They'd just yeah. go and stand him up. I think it was sort of yeah. like, if you would like to shoot from 25 yards out, you're more than welcome. We're going to back David De Gea to handle that. Mm-hmm. And we're going to give you that little bit of space so that we don't sacrifice like uh, being overly aggressive and then leading to somebody else being wide open. The thing I watched and rewatched and watched and rewatched mm-hmm. to try and figure out if there was a system was Matic and Fred. And the best version I could come up with of what mm-hmm. I was seeing was Matic, even though we were basically left centre mid, right centre mid, mm-hmm. Matic would tend to sit in front of United's defence. So you got three centre backs and then Matic, right? And then sometimes Luke Shaw would come join him. And then Fred would essentially do all the running and chase mm-hmm. everybody around. Yep. Is that, that a fair way of describing yeah. the partnership? And it's I like think- one chaotic element in Fred and one stable element in Matic. Yes, and I think Matic, the one stable who would stay home a bit more. So when uh, City would take a goal kick or play the ball back amongst their defenders, you would see Fred being the last one to kind of pop in, mark somebody off, or try to close some space down. And it felt like he had a bit more license. Matic was the one who was definitely told, anchor, don't move, yeah. block things off. So one anchor and one run around like crazy. Yeah. Best game I've seen Fred play in a long time I yeah. haven't been a Fred fan I've been a Fred doubter mm-hmm. ever since he sort of got tackled playing against Wolves I thought eh, that's, that's yeah. not such a good footballer he was magnificent in this game you know who else did doubt Fred though who's that uh, who is Mike Dean our referee in this game uh, books Fred for oh. diving uh, it looked to me like that should have been given as a penalty I think so too yeah. I think he I can't remember who the defender was Otamendi yes I, I believe it was did clip his one foot right yes I, the, maybe the only argument I saw was that it's possible that like the ball is gone at that point and so there's no way he was going to get to it but I still don't think it was a dive I will say this uh, we had an email from a, um, a I had a text from a friend of ours who's a referee um, we talked last week about like when can a referee book somebody if they're on the ground he was saying it's basically considered disrespectful to book somebody if they're still down yeah, you yeah. wait for them to get up you wait for them to conduct it's like themselves kicking them while they're down yeah. right? booking them while they're down but he was like the only time that I think referees will deliberately card somebody when they're still on the ground is when they've uh, when they've judged them to be diving because yeah. then it's like insult to injury of like not only are you laying on the ground and you've if you've if you've dived, then you're sort of embarrassed already because it's really obvious, and now you're getting a yellow while you're sitting there. Like it compounds the shame, I think theoretically. <laughs> In this case, maybe not so much because I don't think Fred dove, but eh, the situation still. Did applies. he get the card while he was down? He did. Oh, and then he kind of like threw his hand up and was all mad, and then got up and walked away. <laughs> Anything else to add on this game? No, I, I was. I thought it was uh, an impressive performance for Man United. It, as a fan, it made me more confident in Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, okay. which is not a thing I felt I would be. How about as an analyst? As an analyst, I found this game really strange because for Man United, it sort of is like we're battling for fourth, and for Man City, it's like we're battling to sort of stay in touching distance. And so there were moments in this game. It's weird, right? Because they, yeah. they they theoretically might have a title challenge still left in them. Yeah. They probably don't after losing this no. game. And then there's a, we want to stay top four, but yeah. then why? Because we're probably banned from Europe. It's yep. a very weird uh, zone there. And so I think the commentators in this game sort of uh, brought that point home a couple of different times that like just the kind of vibe, not from the fans, but from the players, it didn't yeah. have that next level intensity that you would expect. I th- yeah, I think that's fair. I think, well, it did from one team, and maybe that's yes. why that team won. That is probably the case. <laughs> that is well said. So there we go. Mm-hmm. That's your Manchester derby. Still to come, Liverpool, Bournemouth, Juventus, Inter, and Olympic qualifying, McKenny Sargent, and USA versus Spain. <laughs> I feel you started the with the, like, I'll just list a couple things, and then halfway through we're compelled to finish the list. I'm a completist. <laughs> I'm a completist. I'm also a completist when it comes to my hair. That makes sense. I like to have a full head of hair. Mm-hmm. Um, and luckily, today's show is sponsored by Hims. 
That is right. Hims, a new wellness brand for men, a one-stop shop for hair loss, skin care, sexual wellness for men. Uh, we should know that Daryl likes keeping his hair. Most people do, but 66% of men do lose their hair by the age of 35. Daryl, you made it. You made it past 35. <laughs> You're good. That hair stays there forever now. That's how it is works. Is that right? According to science, I believe. Uh, once you've noticed thinning hair, it can be too late, though, unless you visit our friends at Hims. So if that hairline is slowly starting to move mm-hmm. backwards, if there's any bald spots, if you doubt Taylor's claim that if you keep it by 35, you've got it forever, That's I'm it. pretty sure science does not support that. Um, don't turn to weird solutions. Turn to Hims. Hims is helping guys get the best version of themselves, best version of themselves mm-hmm. with licensed physicians and FDA-approved products to help you treat hair loss. And are there snake oil uh, supplements or uh, gas station counter pills or anything like that, Daryl? None of the kind. You sure? None of the kind. All right, sir. that's good to know. Then it's real science. That's right. Uh, it's prescription solutions backed by science. There we are. <laughs> so right now, our listeners can get started with their first month free. Go to forhims.com/totalsoccer. That's f-o-r-h-i-m-s.com/totalsoccer. Oh, can I do the disclaimer you can okay deep breath Mm -hmm. prescription requires an online consultation with a physician who will determine if a prescription is appropriate offer valid only if prescribed three month minimum subscription additional restrictions apply see website for full details and important safety information oh it was good apart from the restrictions remember did i stutter yes no i think it was perfect uh remember (laughs) that's fourhims.com slash total soccer thank you very much to fourhims for sponsoring today's episode thank you very much to daryl grove for saying deep breath and then not taking a deep breath it made the disclaimer that much more impressive. Did well I done, not? sir. You did not. You said <laughs> deep breath and then launched straight into it. I thought I did. <laughs> okay, Liverpool. Yeah. Liverpool versus Bournemouth. Uh-huh. This is this was a big game for Liverpool because mm-hmm. they last week lost to Watford mm-hmm. 3-0. It turns out you can counterattack Liverpool if you've got Ismail Assar. Yeah. Um, which was uh, Or you foul them. Well, yeah, we'll find out this today, right? Yeah. Um, there's also the recent first leg mm-hmm. loss to Atletico Madrid. And then, just a few minutes, I think it was eight minutes in, to Liverpool versus Bournemouth, Callum Wilson makes it 1-0 to Bournemouth. Mm -hmm. I found this fascinating because this could have been a Liverpool wobble. It could have been. And you could tell that the commentary teams for both this and the Manchester Derby were looking for something like that, because I think the Manchester Derby one ends with like, but if Liverpool win this weekend and next weekend and the game after that, then they've won the title already. It's like, okay, you guys are looking for narrative. But yeah, I think that would have been the case, that suddenly it's like, oh, okay, City are slipping, they're not really challenging, they've got the European ban, as Daryl mentioned, so maybe they're distracted. Maybe Liverpool taking their foot off the gas a little bit, maybe they've got an eye towards that second leg. So they too are like slipping now and maybe there will be a title race I think you're right that it would have been sort of silly if Liverpool did lose this game for the narrative to be like oh the title race is back on but it might have been more of a Liverpool slipping question mark with maybe a photo of Gerrard in the stands well I mean but that's the big thing right is Liverpool have not won the Premier League since it was the Premier League it's been a long 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 Mm -hmm. time so there's still this element of like just everybody a little bit tense Uh until it's officially official right so after Watford and then Wilson makes it 1-0 and the fact that it was a really um disputable goal mm-hmm. um, it, it all added to a bit of the drama right so let's yeah. talk about this goal um, it's a Bournemouth counter-attack mm-hmm. Joe Gomez gets there first gets the ball Callum Wilson 100% pushes Joe yep. Gomez away yeah. and takes the ball mm-hmm. right gives it out to what, uh, Billing Billing uh, puts a nice little ball down the line to Lerma yep. Lerma squares it Wilson scores yep. 
all of Liverpool protest. Mm-hmm. Klopp is saying, what? How? What? Wow, 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 wow. Is that wow. what he says? Yes. Wow, 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 wow. He turns, because Eddie Howe like, is up celebrating. I felt bad for Eddie Howe, because he's up celebrating. Your team just scored against Liverpool. You would, and Jurgen Klopp turns and is yelling at Eddie Howe. And you can see Eddie Howe sort of be like, should I not be doing this? Like, <laughs> I don't really know why you're mad at me for this, but okay. But it is, it is an awkward moment, and then it's a credit to Jurgen Klopp that he immediately turns and uh, G's up the crowd a little bit. He does, right? He, he gives up complaining to the ref mm-hmm. and just turns to the cop and asks for inspiration. Yep for the title push. Mm-hmm. One thing before we move on to Liverpool's really impressive yeah. comeback, um, I want to talk about Callum Wilson. Sure. Do you remember I was saying that I felt like I hadn't watched enough Callum Wilson? Yep. I put a close eye on in this game. I also went and watched some Scout footage of Callum Wilson. Mm-hmm. I am now really excited about Callum really? Wilson. And the little push on Gomez, even though it probably was a foul, is one of the things I really like about him. Mm-hmm. He is an absolute pest. Yep. Defensively, he mm-hmm. will hassle the opposition. He will come back and uh, win balls. But then he's great at like nice little flick-ons and making attacks happen. Mm-hmm. And he's a fine, fine finisher. I've, I'm really excited about Callum Wilson if Harry Kane can't go at Euro 2020. <laughs> if he can't, it, maybe it will be Callum Wilson. Yeah. And, I, and I do think one of the things that I find interesting about Wilson is in watching him, a lot of times you'll see like if the big guy goes up against the smaller guy, if the smaller guy gets knocked over, it's going to be a foul on the big guy. But every now and then there are players who the referees are sort of like, yeah, that's how they play. Like yeah. Troy Deeney is not getting a, a call against him for like a, like a, a little bit too much of a shoulder, or a little bit too much of a shove. And there's an element there for Callum Wilson of like, I wonder if that was like, oh, maybe Joe Gomez stopped in front of him and he just had to separate a little bit. Ah, you know, it's a physical game. That's how it works. <laughs> like, I think some of his behavior. Seems referee's pet. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> or just that it's like, oh, yeah, he's going to be physical. You should know that, defender. Like, that's his entire game plan. I mean, it was definitely a foul but I'm just looking for reasons why the referee might have thought a deliberately, deliberate shove in the back slash shoulder wasn't a foul. I think he's just physical enough that he, he yeah. knows where the line is mm-hmm. and he'll get, he'll get called, but yep. he'll get away with a lot of stuff like yep. that. Anyway, 1-0 Liverpool. Yep. And then I think the really important moment yes. comes in the 17th minute. Uh-huh. It's a Firmino chance. Mm-hmm. Um, it's saved. And then Stephen Cook, yep. long-time Bournemouth, what, captain, centre-back. I mm-hmm. want to say he's been there since they were like a couple of divisions yep. lower. Um, he does a sort of, not quite a bicycle kick, but a weird like lunge overhead clearance. Pull something, yep. right? He's injured. Mm-hmm. He has to come out. And the young-ish, I'm not going to say fully young, mm-hmm. <laughs> young-ish uh, Jack Simpson, he's 23, mm-hmm. comes in to replace him. And then things go very, very wrong for Jack I have to jump in here to say, this was another one that uh, I had not yet seen. You were telling me about it. And you're like, oh, this poor guy, he comes in. It is not good for him. And I forget that the key thing here is that Jack Simpson is not American. Because there are times with Daryl where it's like, yeah, Giovanni, like he was really important in this goal. And then you watch it and it's like, oh, he had the pass that six minutes later led to the goal. Oh, this is because I was excited about Firmino. Uh, well, no, it was just, it would, no, it's just more that like sometimes you will give credit or you'll be like, oh, yeah, this, it was this guy's fault because it's an American and we have oh, a vested oh. interest. No, no, it's here. Jack Simpson's fault just because it's Jack Simpson's oh, yeah. fault. Oh, yeah. So I was he watching. Never pull the title. I was watching it not <laughs> knowing when the goal was coming and yeah. just watching him play. And I was like, oh, like, I guess he could have done better in this moment. Like, like, maybe that's what Daryl's type is. this, oh, no, that's not the goal. And then when the goal comes, I was like, oh, no, yeah, that's his fault. So, yeah, if you, <laughs> haven't, was correct. if you haven't seen it, Jack Simpson, just five minutes after coming in for Cook, yeah. tries to dribble out of the back, gets tackled by mm-hmm. Mane. Mane squares to Salah. Not yep. a great pass, actually, but Salah like, makes, the, makes the best of it, takes mm-hmm. a couple of touches and bangs it left foot, bottom corner. Yep. It's 1-1. The really impressive thing here, if you're looking for the way Liverpool play, mm-hmm. is the way that Firmino puts pressure on Simpson as he's dribbling, dribbling out. Makes him take a heavy touch mm-hmm. towards Mane. And then Firmino gestures to Mane, like, 
I got oh, your present. <laughs> Eat this guy alive. And yep. he does. Mane immediately steps, wins, away we mm. go. Yeah. My, uh, I was watching this this morning. My wife is working from home today. She was having a stressful day. Her computer, her work computer wasn't working. And I was like, it could be worse. And I showed her this clip. And her response was, I'm so glad that isn't my career. I'd be covered in stress, stress rashes constantly. <laughs> <laughs> because it is, I cannot imagine that pain of like, haha, I'm going to dribble away from Firmino and Salah or, uh, and Mane. I'm, I'm like doing, oh, no, I've been robbed and now they've scored uh oh and it was telling them going back and watching the minutes before to that you can see that Simpson is constantly looking around he's constantly checking and that's what you want to see from a player but weirdly as I watched it maybe it was knowing what was coming to watch it again you can see that it's more panicky in my mind it's yeah. not it's not the like scans and seeing what's up it's like literally at one point it's not he, he runs in a circle at one point like seeing what he needs to do he runs all the way around and ends up back in the same position yeah, yeah. looking around so instead of being calm like Chavi, yeah. he's more like uh, the person that dies halfway through a horror flick yeah that's about it like <laughs> we have to separate and I'm gonna go off on my own uh, poorly armed and without supplies don't what go in go the wrong? woods Jack Simpson <laughs> don't exactly, go in the woods exactly <laughs> And then <laughs> the Mane monster will get you. And yeah, if there's two monsters, like mm-hmm. Firmino's the one that, je- that like, leads you towards the other yep. monster. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and that's exactly what happened. Oh, and it really is a good like mm-hmm. example of how Liverpool defend from the mm-hmm. front, right? Is one guy just pressures you towards the other guy, yep. and the other guy takes the ball off you. So that's one one. And then they're also very good at exploiting space, which sure leads are. to two one uh, for Liverpool. Yeah. And this is where I'm wondering: Do you hold Jacksonson responsible at least partially for this one as well? Because I think you could. I don't have as clear a memory of this. I, all I can remember from this mm-hmm. is a ball bouncing around the midfield and Van Dijk steps out, yep. wins it, mm-hmm. plays Mane through, Basically and that. Mane scores. So where yeah. does Jack Simpson come into Because uh, Bournemouth regained possession, and part of that is that Simpson has stepped out to kind of apply pressure. Bournemouth get the ball back. Uh, Bournemouth's right back slides over because now, okay, we're in possession. We can kind of spread out, make the field as big as we want. Uh, and Simpson doesn't adjust to that, and that is the space that then, when oh. Bournemouth turn the ball over, it's not it's not Simpson's fault that that ball gets turned over, but that's where that huge gap has come from, is that I he see. has stayed central, the right-back has gone wide, no one is aware of Sadio Mane, who you should definitely be aware of. You should be aware of Sadio Mane. Yeah, he's pretty good. He's so pretty he good. finishes 2-1 mm-hmm. to Liverpool. Um, Liverpool now have 82 points at the top of the Premier League. Mm-hmm. Manchester City have 57 points. All right, but... Uh, Wolverhampton and Manchester United have more than half the points of Liverpool, so that's progress. <laughs> Only just. <laughs> Only just. So essentially, I haven't done the math, I don't yeah. know if you have, but Liverpool basically need to win two games, yep. right? Six points mm-hmm. and they will... I have not done the math, but that is what the commentators won, told me when they were trying to create narrative. Yep. So they could win it before the international break, right? Mm-hmm. They're two, two match days before so. the international break. That seems possible. Oh, that would be exciting. Would it? Yeah, I mean, personally, I grew up oh, no, Liverpool okay. winning the league mean. all the time. Yeah. And there's been this long, dramatic gap mm-hmm. where they've like challenged a couple of times, like the Rafa Benitez era, um, and then the, the Brendan Rodgers season and the Stephen Gerrard slip and all that. Mm-hmm. And they've won the Champions League do- twice in between. No, you, yeah, you're without, right. Somehow without winning yeah. the Premier League, it's overdue, and this has to be the season. Yeah. Oh, yeah. no, it certainly will be. I meant more so like coming back from the international break and being like, well, they won the title in March. Guess we got some months to play. (laughs) A whole bunch of guard of honors for people. Speaking of tight races, Mm -hmm. let's get to Juventus versus Inter. Yep. This one was fascinating because because of the coronavirus, it was played in front of zero fans. 
I would argue it did not affect the pace or intensity of the game at all. No, it, it, it did, I will be totally honest, affect my ability to really stay focused on this game. Oh, really? Because cause there were, it was still that situation when you have like, closed doors, but there are still like front office personnel and I think support staff allowed in. I think they're limiting it to like a thousand people are allowed in games mm-hmm. for whatever reason. So you still had some cheering, but it was just faint enough that I was like, I don't, is that the bench who's yelling? Yeah. Is that fans? And I found myself consistently distracted by who is cheering in. In this one moment I was annoyed that I couldn't speak Italian because yeah. you could hear the players yelling mm-hmm. and I wish I knew what they were yelling yep. apart from players names mm-hmm. I, I couldn't really identify what nope. anyone was saying to anyone right? apart from when Christian Eriksen said ref ref yeah well that'll happen that'll happen <laughs> so you just came on and complained so what because you haven't watched as much Serie A because you haven't been doing Week in Review you've watched mm. it for Champions League and everything like that but I'm wondering what your sort of takeaways were what you enjoyed or didn't so enjoy from this one my big takeaway from this game as I understand it um, sorry the mm-hmm. Juventus coach and by the way Juventus won 2-0 mm-hmm. we didn't mention that I should have mentioned that at the top Juventus won 2-0 it puts them what, ahead of Lazio top of Serie A and that might be enough to win the title, not least because yeah. Syria is in danger of being either postponed or cancelled for the rest of the season. Right. right? This could this could be the game that won them the title. As of today, I'm going to go check the schedule to see if it's been updated. The reporting today was that uh, the league will be suspended until April 4th, and then it could resume from there, likely behind closed doors again. There's a chance that they'll have games this weekend behind closed doors. It seems like Italy are sort of figuring it out on the fly, I think, because the situation has become so severe. Safe to say it's important to be top right now. Yes, right? I think so. Because it might soon be yes. over. And so there were talks initially that this game was going to be postponed until the end of the season. And I do wonder if maybe Juve were like, uh, we're okay with it being played right now. Let's <laughs> make sure we're on top of the table. So it finishes 2-0 mm-hmm. with goals from uh, Aaron Ramsey yep. and then later Dybala. I want to talk about both of these goals. Sure. The thing that really stood out to me um, was Sari's selection, yep. especially in central midfield. The way I see it, he looked at this game said very important game I am going to go with not even necessarily my most talented midfield three but my most hard-working midfield three who can do a defensive job and the midfield three he went with was Betancourt in the middle over Pjanic which seems like a massive massive decision right Pjanic is like famously yeah. uh, almost Perlo-esque mm-hmm. in terms of like you know maestro controls the game doesn't offer that much defensively Bentancourt a little less maestro-ish but a bit more defensive that's mm-hmm. the gamble he took I think it paid off I'll yep. talk about why Blaise Matuidi, left centre mid, always guaranteed to be all over the place. I believe a Blaise Matuidi underlap is what, like running up the field, mm-hmm. is what leads to the Aaron Ramsey goal. And then uh, right centre mid was Aaron Ramsey, who was up and down, working hard with a point to prove yep. and, and a goal to show for it. I want to talk about Benton Kerr because I think he was the key to the game. Sure. What I saw him do, it's not just that big diagonal out to Dybala for the second goal. He placed himself between the midfield and Lukaku. Almost every mm-hmm. every inter-attack. There was no ball into Lukaku's feet because Bentancur just constantly screened him. They mm-hmm. almost did a an in-front behind the whole game. So there'd be a centre-back, probably front Benucci. Follow, man. Front, front and follow. follow, like McNulty, right? Mm-hmm. And his kid, right? Yep. Is that what it was in the wire? Yeah, so say uh, Benucci would be on Lukaku, right? Straight centre-back, centre-forward matchup. But then Bentancur would essentially just stand in front of Lukaku. So there was no path into him. Right. And I think the mistake that Inter made was instead of saying, OK, Latoro Martinez, you go wandering and find the ball, they seemed to have him close to Lukaku to play off him. Yeah. So Benton Kerr could front and follow two people yep. quite easily. Yeah. So oh, we're in agreement here without comparing notes. Oh, no, we, we absolutely yeah. are. Uh, but the thing that I found most interesting about that midfield selection is that, again, it happens behind closed doors. 
And Maurizio Sarri has come under fire this season. He had the quote after this game that was, um, uh, playing behind closed doors is the only way to entertain the fans who were at home. And I think what he meant, it's a translation. I think he was trying to say, like, we should keep games going even if we're playing behind closed doors because they're on TV. So people who are quarantined or staying at home can watch them. But it sounded a little bit like the only way we can be entertaining is when the fans aren't there. I see. So we don't come under pressure. Well, yeah, but uh, but or maybe I'm just like choosing to mistranslate it to make the point that sorry has come under fire a lot this season for some of his lineup decisions for the way he kind of lines up tactically in a game when there are no fans there for him to kind of take some risks and start Aaron Ramsey and start Benton Cora in as the holding midfielder doesn't start Paolo Dybala but has a plan to bring him on later. Yeah, it felt and like starts Douglas Costa moves Quadrado back, which is a thing that he kind of experiments with uh, occasionally. But it felt, I enjoyed Quadrado. Yeah, um, he would dribble forwards and then do a weird like dribble mm-hmm. inside he would like do an interior dribble from right back which I found really threatening yeah. like, not to me personally I mean, but to Inter it's what he offers coming out of that position but for me for like watching this game and knowing that Sarri has been under fire fairly consistently despite the fact that Inter, uh, that Juve have been near the top and are currently top I did wonder if it's like when there's no one there to boo and be frustrated by what you're doing does that free up the team a little bit more <laughs> to kind of, straight in there yeah exactly Aaron <laughs> Ramsey go in there because I think David Amoyal was making the argument on Twitter that Aaron Ramsey is like one of the most Maurizio Sarri players you can have. It's just that he's so often injured that it doesn't really allow yeah. him to kind of blend in that well. This was a game where I thought he blended well. He calls off Ronaldo for the goal. I mean, right there, sure that says does. something. Should we talk about that goal? Sure. Yeah. Um, okay, so here's an important thing just to underline uh, the lack of balls into Lukaku. Mm-hmm. Um, this goal starts with, uh, I think it's Skriniar, um, trying to bend a ball into Lukaku. And it's just like straight over his head. Mm-hmm. Um, straight to Chesney and Lukaku even half applauds it's like the closest they've come you tried <laughs> at least you yeah, tried at least you tried to yep. find me even though it was 10 yards <laughs> too long and then Juve go down the field and yep. score yeah. the at least you tried applause can, can be a bit of a bummer but yes it's, it's, it's basically exploiting what Inter are trying to do to use it to your advantage is, is a key part of what Maurizio Sarri <laughs> is looking to do and a, a good aspect of uh, how Juve are able to get this goal so I mentioned um, the Matuidi underlap mm-hmm. that's kind of what happens right? it's uh, Alexandro has yep. it at the top of the box Matuidi Underlap. Sandro finds him. Matuidi cuts it back. And yeah, Ronaldo, does he get an initial shot or does he just have his shot blocked? I, I think he has a shot blocked and That's then he's it. kind of like turn, like he's basically moving away from goal to do the, the FIFA swivel and hit it at, yes, at the same moment. Yes, that's what he was about to do, right? Yeah, that you and shouldn't then, be able to do. And then Ramsey yells something. I don't know if it's in English, Welsh or Italian, but he, he yells something. And Ronaldo very cleverly yep. jumps out the way mm-hmm. so that Ramsey can just hit it through traffic, yep. basically, but low and hard and 1-0 Juventus. Yep. And, I mean, and, and it, it does take a deflection, but that's sort of what happens when you're yeah. hitting the ball low and hard through a, a well-trafficked area. Yep. I want to say he yelled, Cymru! Heaven's <laughs> 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 ball! <laughs> uh, so, so that's 1-0. 2-0, oh, though. And then the 2-0, though. Goal. And the, this is what I was saying where, uh, sorry, afterwards was talking about how they had kind of planned to use Dybala, how moving Quadrado back uh, allowed him to start Douglas Costa, but he always had the plan to bring in Dybala to stretch them out a little bit, ideally sure with did. a 1-0 lead. And that's exactly what happens here. They're stretched. Dybala's good. Dybala scores. So they're all stretched out. Dybala is like way high, wide and right, mm-hmm. right? Up against Ashley Young, left wing back, who gets embarrassed twice for this goal. Yeah. And it's Bentanker doing his very best Pjanic impression with a great big diagonal mm-hmm. ball. That it's absolutely perfectly yep. into the path of Dybala. So Dybala can take, I want to say it's one touch to settle it and beat Ashley Young mm-hmm. all with one touch. Yep. Right? Absolutely magnificent. Then he starts dribbling um, in towards goal with his left foot. All left foot, all left foot. Very quick one-two with Aaron Ramsey. I really like this one-two from Mm -hmm. Ramsey. It's got a bit of disguise on it, right? The return pass. Then he cuts Ashley Young again with a nice little Maradona-ish swivel of the hips. Mm -hmm. 
And then was it outside of the foot? Uh, Travella it left foot finish. He is the reverse Jordan Morris. He he is, but it was also I think that shot is is born of a correct read of the situation. That if I take it wide again, I'm going to kill my angle. I mm-hmm. like lower my shooting opportunity. I, I allow the goalkeeper to get in a better position. Whereas if I go with the like, the outside of the foot stab in this moment, no one will see that coming. And yep. he's correct. No one is able to make a play on that ball as it goes into the goal. Here's my shout. Uh, Paolo Dybala, best one-footed player in the world right now. Sure. Because uh, he's very one-footed. It's all left foot, and yet he's able yep. to do things like that. Uh, Antonio Valencia was your number one contender for that spot. But yes, I think I he has fallen off slightly. So yeah, I'll give, yeah. I'll give you Paolo Dybala. <laughs> Why not? So there we go. 2-0 mm-hmm. to Juve. Juve are top of Serie A. And as Taylor mentioned earlier, the rest of the season might be cancelled. The next couple yeah. of weeks are definitely on hold, right? All sport in Italy is on hold. I, I had heard it is indeed. I had heard somebody else. My final point on this one was that like pondering if Inter Milan could truly challenge for the title. And the, and one of the arguments was like, it's really confusing because they have a bunch of players who, like in Ashley Young, have gone from a middling Manchester United side to being one of their key performers. And I think you saw today that maybe Juve do have the the quality across the board to outlast some of their Serie A rivals. Absolutely. And if they need um, mm-hmm. maybe a little snack, maybe a meal <laughs> uh, to keep outlasting their rivals, maybe if they're quarantined in Italy and they want to get some food delivered, um, they could try using today's sponsor. They could. I think they would have to move to the United States, uh, Puerto Rico, Canada, or Australia to oh, use okay. today's sponsor. Uh, because well, that's good because that's where t- most of our audience is. Exactly. We're talking DoorDash. Uh, We've got New Year, we've got Valentine's Day. I'm just going to say DoorDash has something for every lifestyle. On the go with no time to waste, order, pick up, and pass the line. Having trouble organizing a meal with your friends? Uh, DoorDash makes it easy with group ordering. DoorDash is more than just delivery, but then they do also delivery that makes your life that much better. So with DoorDash, ordering is easy. You just open the DoorDash app, um, choose what you want to eat, and then your food gets delivered to you wherever you are, as long as you're in one of the places that Taylor said, which statistically, if you're listening to this show, mm-hmm. I will almost guarantee that you It's a you decent are. chance. It's there's a decent a, chance. There's a very decent chance. Mm-hmm. So almost everywhere is listed on DoorDash, right? I'll guarantee your favorite uh, pizza place, your mm-hmm. favorite Chinese place, your favorite anything. Um, go to DoorDash. It will already be there. So you can select the thing that you will, you know, everyone mm-hmm. has their little favorites. Like yep. I, have, I have a certain favorite mm-hmm. that I will always go to that first and check it on DoorDash um, and see if it's there. Order it. Away we go. Yours is uh, Taco Bell folded inside of a little, pizza, little Caesar's pizza, right? It is not. It's actually China Panda. My favorite takeout. Very nice. Yeah. yeah, I find it difficult to order fast food on an app like this just because it's like, I'm already getting fast food. I should at least leave my home. But I do love that you can get it from like really any restaurant. So the Mexican place across the oh, street that, that we both really yeah. enjoy, yeah. Yeah. I will do that as well. So when I'm not in the office, I will still eat the food that we would be eating in the office were we here. <laughs> is very good. If we end up quarantined, I can order it to the house and then I'll feel like we're in the office. (laughs) Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the code TSS. That's $5 off your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter the code TSS. Don't forget, one more time, that's code TSS for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. Thank you very much to our friends at DoorDash for sponsoring today's episode. Daryl Grove, should we talk Olympics, specifically Olympic qualifying, specifically Olympic qualifying rosters? Yes. So the 20-man U.S. men's national Mm -hmm. team Olympic qualifying roster was named last night. It was. I've been waiting for this for a long time because there was always an element of mystery to it, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's really complicated because there's only 20 spots available. So that makes it a hard roster to choose to begin with. And then you know that like teams are not obligated to release players for qualifying. Oh, are they not? That hasn't been talked about. So there was always going to be like someone who you expected to be there who wasn't there, Mm -hmm. right? So 
I think we're going to have to kind of run through the roster right here on the show, and then maybe we'll talk notable absentees um, and inclusions. I agree, but I did not have the roster open, which is why I'm frantically trying to open it quickly. Don't worry, I've got it here. Daryl Grove's got it because Daryl is a professional. Daryl, who's on that roster? I'll get us started. So Starts again, with the goalkeepers. 20 players, so versatility is mm-hmm. important, right? Also, just worth pointing out, it is potentially five games in 13 days. Yeah. So it's a lot of games with a small roster. Um, I think in the accompanying press release, Jason Christ, the head coach, mm-hmm. said everybody's going to have to play. I would say with the exception of substitute goalkeepers, everybody's going to have to play. So every name on this list is important. Except for the substitute goalkeepers, yes. But let's talk about them one of them may get a game. So uh, the three goalkeepers are Matt Fries, JT Martinkowski, and David Ochoa. And weirdly, with U.S. goalkeepers, we tend to have, like, it could be this guy, it could be this guy. It does seem like the consensus opinion is that it could be any one of these three, that it's a vulnerable spot. It might be Marcinkowski, it might be Ochoa. Those, I think I would lean Ochoa, but he is currently the U20 uh, goalkeeper. But that one it seems like a, a spot that is more open than we might have expected. Well, we'll see in the first game mm-hmm. um, against Costa Rica on March 20th. Yeah, All right. Right. Your defenders mm-hmm. are... Reggie Cannon. So yep. U.S. men's national team, borderline first-choice right-back, Reggie Cannon. Yep. Justin Glad, Chris Gloucester of PSV, left-back. Aaron Herrera of Real Salt Lake, who can play right-back or left-back, or I believe centre-back. Um, Mark McKenzie and Eric Palmer-Brown. Mm-hmm. Those are your defenders. Do you have a prediction for who our starting centre-backs will be, or do you want to hold off on doing the lineups until once we've done the whole roster? Let's do the lineups afterwards, because okay. I've also got sure. some interesting thoughts on the lineups, mm-hmm. um, I believe. Okay, uh, okay let's just uh, go through some notable inclusions and exclusions sure. here, though. The obvious name that is missing to me is Chris Richards mm-hmm. of Bayern Munich 2. I think basically Bayern Munich did not release Chris Richards. I don't know that yeah. for a fact, but Richards has been on every sort of training camp and roster before this, and I think when it came down to it, Bayern just said... I yeah. just said no. We're which, not releasing. Which I know some people have speculated might mean like, oh, first team debut is coming. He could be in there. Maybe that's the case. But I, this feels more to me like they were just like, no, we're not releasing this guy. We want him around. We want to keep him developing. I would bet that it means that while the other Bayern players go to international duty, mm-hmm. Chris Richards goes to train with the first team. That would it make doesn't sense mean to me. first team debut is coming, but it means that Bayern think for his development, right. it's more useful to have him come and train with the first team. Mm-hmm. That's my guess. Yeah, that's my guess. Mm-hmm. The other name missing at centre back is Miles Robinson. Right. My, I think the first choice pairing might have been Robinson and Richards. Yes. Atlanta announced, what, two or three weeks ago now, that they have a policy of not releasing players if mm-hmm. they don't have to. Yeah. So they didn't release Robinson for the Olympics. This is compounded by the fact that Robinson got injured when Greg Berhalter called him up for the men's national team and had Robinson play in one of those sort of scrimmages that happened for players that didn't play in the actual game mm-hmm. and Robertson got injured there and then I think missed either all or most of the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, and I believe is still carrying an injury right now. So there is that element oh, so as well. Have been caught anyway. Yeah, but but like like we often see hear a player like, oh yeah, they're carrying a back injury, so they can't go on national team duty. That's a little bit suspicious. I appreciate Atlanta being like, yeah, he's injured, but also no, you can't have any of our players. <laughs> Which includes um and we might have talked about with the defenders, but more likely would have been talking about with the attackers. Shall we move to Bruce midfield? Lennon? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, Bruce Lennon's mm-hmm. like right back, right winger, yep. uh right wing back, I guess. Yeah, he's another Atlanta player that has been part of these rosters. Mm-hmm. Is not called up, we assume, because Atlanta just said, you know who you can have? No one. That's who you can have. Can have a, a big old nobody. Let's move on to my favorite part of this roster. Right. I am very excited about the midfielders selected on this roster. All right. Uh, that includes Brendan Aronson of the Philadelphia Union, Hassani Dotson of, the, of Minnesota United, Richie Ledesma of PSV, Georgie Mihailovic of Chicago Fire, Paxton Pomacall of FC Dallas, and Jackson Ewell of the San Jose Earthquakes. So important thing is that Jackson Yule might be the starting number six for the U.S. men's national yep. team, right? And he has kind of established himself over the last few games. 
He's going to be on this U23 mm-hmm. roster. I think he's going to be really important. I think the whole thing is going to pivot around him. Which I was more like excited by. You you made the point off air that like this is a thing we knew was coming. Yeah, because like, we... uh, Behalter had said Cannon and Yule are yeah. definitely going to be on the Olympic qualifying roster. And I still found myself surprised by it when I saw <laughs> it. Because it was just like, yeah, as you said, this is the person who we felt like could be the starting number six for the national team, especially with a lot of the injuries. But it frees up Tyler Adams to play another position or potentially frees up other players to play different roles. So now that he's with this Olympic team when those March friendlies happen... It's safe to assume that somebody else will be playing the number six, but maybe this shows how they're prioritizing going to the yeah, Olympics. I mean, to me, this is the biggest trade-off between yep. March friendlies for the senior team against Wales and the Netherlands where players can advance their international careers. Mm-hmm. It would have been a big test for Jackson Yule, MLSA, to go to Europe and play against Wales and play against the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. But it seems that it's been prioritized that Jackson Yule is just so important to this midfield that we're going to prioritise Olympic qualifying and have him go with this group Mm -hmm. instead. I don't think there was a wrong choice, right? I think they just made a choice and you could have argued you could have argued in favour of either way. Yeah. 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 I'm fine with it. If we don't go if we don't go to the Olympics and it's because Jackson Yule scores four own goals, yeah. then this was the wrong choice. Then it but was the I wrong don't choice. think that's I don't think that's what's gonna <laughs> you happen. You don't think that's gonna happen? Alright. Then I feel a little bit better if you don't think that's But elsewhere happen. I see creative players who yep. offer defensive bite as well. And mm-hmm. I'm talking Brendan Aronson and I'm talking uh, Paxton Pomacal. Mm-hmm. I love any midfield that could potentially include those two guys. These yes. are guys with lot they're young guys with lots of professional experience mm-hmm. as well. Right? We do still have uh, a number of omissions. Again, we're assuming a lot of this relates to clubs not releasing. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe some injuries. Uh, Brandon Trevania injured. We we think maybe would have would have gone otherwise. Yeah. That would have been four Dallas players. So that might have been a bit too much. <laughs> yeah. uh, Keaton Parks was potentially in contention, but oh, there's some speculation. I think from Brian Charetta that uh, NYCFC still being alive in the Concacaf Champions League combined with the start of the season means he's a bit uh, more important right now, which maybe opened up the spot for Georgi Mihailovic and uh, Christian Kappas of Holbro. Yeah. Uh, speculation there is that they're in a relegation battle. He is starting regularly for them, so they need him to hopefully stay up in their league so they didn't let him go you know what? You might see Christian Kappis on the senior men's national That's team possible. roster because mm-hmm. there's a shortage of number sixes yep. on the senior national team roster right now as well. What about Alex Mendes? This is the really interesting one to yep. me. I don't know if young Ajax or Ajax said, we want to, same mm-hmm. as Richards, maybe we want to see him train with the first team. You can't have him. Yep. Or is it that maybe Jason Kreiss and Greg Behalter decided, you know what? He doesn't offer enough defensively, which is a critique of Alex Mendes' play. He is not lighting it up for young Ajax mm-hmm. in the way that, say, Richie Ledesma is right. lighting it up for young PSV. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, and, and it may well be that they looked at that and thought, we've got other options that give us the kind of depth, maybe not to the necessarily the quality of Alex Mendes across the board, but it's, it's enough that he wouldn't be starting anyway. We've got people who can do that job, yeah. and then we can use that roster spot elsewhere to give us a bit more depth where we actually need it. That said, I think it's equally likely that Ajax just said, like, no, we might need him, so we want, to ha- we want him sticking around. But it's interesting that the young PSV guys, so Chris Gloucester, yep. the left back, mm-hmm. and Richie Ledesma were mm-hmm. both released. Yep. I've got a feeling that Ledesma might light up Olympic qualifying. He's yeah. got he's got a lot that I like. He mm-hmm. can dribble. He plays nice little one twos. He can shoot from distance. He can spot a through ball out of nowhere. Yep. Ledesma surrounded by some like all action talent. I think I, I think he's going to be a key part of the midfield. I think that's probably a safe bet. Uh, and then we could talk about uh, the attack very briefly. Oh, be- um, before we do, can mm-hmm. I just mention um, Hassani Dutson? Yep. This is a guy I wasn't familiar with. Mm-hmm. Went and did some like watching some clips, watching some highlights. I think I like him. I you think, think so? Yes. It's a guy that I am often very dismissive of guys who are like played four years in college mm-hmm. and then drafted in the second round by Minnesota United in MLS. That kind of resume is normally one that makes you go, eh, not, not that exciting, right? Yeah. But I've seen some Hassani Dutson clips and he looks all action, really impressive midfielder who crucially can also play right back 
and left back. And I, I'm going to guess that that versatility is what got Hassani Dutson on this roster. So he's going to be Jackson Yule's backup and then a potential backup at fullback as well. Which makes sense because I think the only other, uh, our assumption is that it's probably Gloucester and Cannon. It might be Cannon and Herrera starting as yeah. your fullbacks. But Herrera, if it is Gloucester and Cannon, is the only fullback substitute for both spots. So that then makes sense why you yeah. have Dotson who can do kind of a number of different jobs, be that utility player that, again, maybe Alex Mendez could not have been. Exactly. All right, so you wanted to move on to forwards. I did. Uh, we've got five of them. Uh, Jer- Jeremy Abobase. Still don't really know if I'm pronouncing that one properly, but so be it. Of the Portland Timbers, uh, Jesus Ferreira of FC Dallas, Jonathan Lewis of Colorado Rapids, Ulysses Yanez of Wolfsburg, and Sebastian Salcedo, Bofo Salcedo of Pumas. So the only big surprise here for me is Sebastian Salcedo. Yep. Because he has been playing for Pumas. He's he's got a goal. He's got a couple of assists. He's been playing on the left wing with his right foot cutting in, looking Mm -hmm. really good. I'm surprised Pumas were just happy to let him go. Oh, so that's why you're surprised. I thought you meant like you're surprised to see him on the roster. You're saying you're surprised to see him because he's good and playing. Yeah. I'm surprised, I'm gotcha, surprised gotcha, gotcha. he was available. The only yeah. thing I can think is that the qualifying tournament takes place in Mexico, right? It's in Guadalajara. Mm-hmm. And maybe they just thought, oh, he hasn't got to travel that far. Mm-hmm. We, can, we can lose him for a week. Yep. And he hasn't even got to fly a long distance, right? Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you ever wonder if there are like agreements in place for playing time? I know that seems far-fetched, but like, do you ever wonder if clubs are like, well, is he going to be a starter for you? Because if he's going to be a starter, then we'll release him. But if he's just going to be a bench warmer, we don't feel like letting him go. I honestly think with 20 players yeah. and possibly five games... There's no, there's no shortage this of units. If anything, there might be an agreement that please don't play too much. <laughs> you know what I mean? That is equally, if not more likely. Because yeah. it is. I think the thing people uh, maybe forget about this is if you play every game mm-hmm. in this in this tournament, you've literally played in a tournament. And you know how players like after the World Cup yeah. or the Gold Cup or whatever, I need a month, need a rest. Yeah, yeah these players are going to go play in a tournament and then. Go back to they're go babies. back to their clubs. They're fine. <laughs> they got fresh legs. Yeah, they recover immediately. Everybody will need a rest. That's probably true. Yeah. That's probably true. All right, so we've got our roster. I've got concerns about the forwards. Okay. Who plays right wing out of these guys? Uh, that's a great question, Daryl. So, Abobis is a centre forward. Uh-huh. Ferrer is a centre forward. Uh-huh. Um, Jonathan Lewis is a left-footed left winger. Yep. Ulysses Yanez is a right-footed left winger. Yep. And Sebastian Sosedo is a right-footed left winger. My, my assumption is that it will be either Yulianez or uh, Bofo Sosedo. So someone has to play kind of out of their favoured position, right? Yep. But, you know, you just don't cut inside. You just get to the end line and cross it in instead of cutting back inside and shooting. What if they cut outside and just dribble straight out of bounds? Well, that'd be problematic. <laughs> and they fundamentally misunderstood what they're trying to do in the attack. <laughs> but, yeah, that's my guess is that it's uh, it's Sosedo, it's Yanez, and then it's um, uh, Jesus, Jesus Ferreira. Here's a, here's a guess I've got. At some point, you will see Brendan Aronson. I wrote Jesus in my lineup, by the way. <laughs> I was confused for a moment. I was like, I mean, usually you put him in goal, but that's fine. <laughs> At some point, uh, you will see Brendan Aronson or Paxton Pomacal. Because he saves. One of those guys. We, we got it. <laughs> Playing on the right wing. Yeah. You hearing me? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. But w- w- is that where you would put Pomacal? Because I feel like Pomacal would be the number 10. Only because I've seen him Only because I've seen him play there. And I'm assuming that this team is going to play a 4-3-3, yeah. right? Like a six and two eights and two wingers and a forward. Yeah. So I can see uh, at some point, maybe if they want a right-footed right winger, they will have uh, who's, na- who's naturally more comfortable there than someone who likes to be on the left and cutting inside. Mm-hmm. I think you might see Pomacal or Aronson there for a bit of defensive bite as well. Yeah, that makes okay. That makes sense to me. And again, I think it gets back to the sort of rotation you can have, the flexibility you can have in having a number of players do a variety of roles. Because I mean, you could potentially have like Pomacall, Aronson, and Mihailovic all competing for one spot, and yeah. that sort of defeats the purpose. But playing somebody in a different spot that maybe accentuates certain things that you need, need accentuated, but having the depth uh, in that same spot, it all kind of balances out and makes sense to me. Do you want to talk starting eleven? Sure. All right, let's do it. Uh, I've got Ochoa in goal. We've got okay. Ochoa in goal, despite being a youngster. 
I, I mean, I have no arguments between mm-hmm. Martin Kowski and Ochoa. Mm-hmm. So it's really hard, right? We, we don't know enough about goalkeepers to definitively say it's this guy for this reason. So, yep. yeah, I'm, hap- I'm happy either way. That's fair. Um, Reggie Cannon's your right back. That is right? correct. I wouldn't be surprised if he's captain. That makes sense to me as because well. Because he yep. definitely mm-hmm. emerges sort of... Uh, Unless it's Jackson Yule. But Berhalter's talked about Cannon as being a yeah. leader. And, yeah, I'd, I'd be very comfortable with seeing Reggie Cannon wearing that armband. Yep. Um, the centre-backs, I'm going to guess Mark McKenzie. Mm-hmm. Everybody seems to love Mark McKenzie. Um, partnered by Eric Palmer-Brown. Yeah, that yeah? seems to be the content- consensus one. I wouldn't mind seeing Justin Glad get some opportunities. As we've said, he probably will because of the depth and the number of players. Yep. But I- I've enjoyed Justin Glad, but I want to see more of him in a competitive sort of national competition uh, and see what he does there. I think you'll see plenty. Because we we've, got, we've got the Costa Rica mm-hmm. game, then we've got the Dominican Republic game, then we've got Mexico as the final yep. group stage game, then we've got the must-win semifinal, and if we must win that semifinal and do win it, mm-hmm. then we've got the final. I don't think anybody's going to be short of playing time. You're going to see every name on this roster take the there's going to be one point. though. There's going to be one. Who one only gets like eight minutes or something like that. Probably Jonathan Lewis because he seems to always get the short end. <laughs> oh boy! Um, from what I have heard, uh, uh, many many people would like to see Herrera, Aaron Herrera, start as one of the fullbacks. Okay. I still think it would be Chris Gloucester. Yeah, That's I do my too. Other one. Yeah, yeah, I see Chris and, I, and I had basically the same back line, though I want to see Justin Glad in there. I had Gloucester, McKenzie, EPB, Cannon. So let's go midfield. Um, we imagine Jackson Yule will yep. be the pivot, the number six. Mm-hmm. Everything will revolve around Jackson Yule. My favorite um, uh, ahead of that would be a Paxton Pomacal, Richie Ledesma combination. Yeah, like a six, eight, ten situation. Brandon Aronson coming in for Pomacal or or for Ledesma. Georgi Mihailovic, I'm, I feel like we're all a little down on Mihailovic because of his senior team performances, mm-hmm. but it's worth remembering that he's only 21, yeah. right? Or 22. He's only 21, I think. Yeah. That We shouldn't be just done with Mihailovic because of a few subpar senior men's national team. No, I mean, this is exactly what I think should happen. Is yeah. he, he, he moved up to the senior team. It didn't, he didn't feel like he was quite ready for it, so he moves back to his club, gets some more reps there, now plays with the U23s. If he's solid and strong and looks more than capable, yep. then maybe he gets another look with the senior team. But if this is kind of his level, then this is kind of his level for now and here's my guess for the second game against the Dominican Republic mm-hmm. Hassani Dutson plays number six and Jackson Yule gets a rest okay that would be you fine I mean, just to well. give a bit of rest and let mm-hmm. Dutson be in there for the easier game yep up top I want it to be Jesus Ferreira yep. starting at number nine I think I want it to be Ulysses Janez yep. on the left wing with his right foot and then I guess that leaves Sebastian Saucedo slightly out of position on the right wing yep yeah that's, that's what I have that seems to be everybody's favored starting front three which yep. is why it won't happen Yes, which is why we'll have something totally random and strange. Yes, you are correct. Did you know that clubs are never required to release youth players? I didn't know that. Well, for youth tournaments like this. Yeah, I didn't know that at all. Mm -hmm. I thought like, well, yeah, but if if it's an official competition, they're going to let them go. Nope. I've learned something new. Oh, even like an under-20 World Cup or whatever. Apparently. Apparently. That's interesting. Yeah, you're never compelled for youth competitions. There you go. Even when they take place during an international window, even more confusing. Mm. Yes. So one more time. This Mm -hmm. all starts March 20th. The first game is possibly the most important game mm-hmm. is the USA versus Costa Rica because you want to finish top two in the group to go to the semifinals then three days later Dominican Republic three days later March 26th against Mexico if we finish in the top two then on March 30th we play uh-huh. a semifinal probably against Honduras or Canada yep. Honduras have done for us before Yes, they have. Yes, they have. They've done for us before. They sure have. What do you What do you mean by that expression? Knocked us out of Olympic. That's okay. Yeah. Just or at least sent us to a playoff against Colombia, which was as good as being knocked gotcha. out. Gotcha. I just want to make sure because sometimes the British expressions, I think they mean one thing and they mean another. So for a second, I was like, you mean they've helped us before, or you mean that they've done us before? I mean gotcha. the opposite. They've I understand us. now. They've done us. I understand uh, now. Uh, no, I, I had one more question for you though, Daryl. Yeah. So you, when we found out this roster was coming out. 
like reacted to it as though it were a like senior World Cup qualifying roster. Yeah, and you were or, like the roster for going to the World Cup. Like, mm-hmm. why does it have this level of excitement? Why are you this pumped to see this squad to see this competition? Because I genuinely think qualifying for the Olympics mm-hmm. would be the first bit of proof that the lost generation wilderness bad times are over. That is a so great answer. The era of not qualifying for the 2012 Olympics, not qualifying for the 2016 Olympics. I think a nice reset would be to qualify for the 2020 Olympics in Japan. Mm-hmm. Even if the actual Olympics don't happen, the fact that we managed to qualify for it in the first place um, would be a major, major positive sign for the United States. We live in a we- weird, weird world right mm-hmm. now. We really, really do. And honestly, if you go back and look at the, the 2016 roster, yeah. it was actually played in 2015, mm-hmm. that tournament. It is not as impressive. It's a lot of MLS guys who weren't even necessarily first choice with their MLS team. Yep. And then it was a lot of guys who were... Mm-hmm. With a European team, but not really starting. Like Jerome Kisavetta was officially at Stuttgart, I think, mm-hmm. but not really playing. Like instead, you've got Ferreira, who's in the Dallas first choice eleven. Same for Pomacal, same for McKenzie at Philadelphia Union, and then you've got guys like Ledesma and uh, Gloucester who are up and coming at major European teams. Yeah. Right? This is a much more impressive roster than in the past, and so it, for me, this just ha- it's got me excited because of the quality of players on there. It's got me excited because qualifying would be a big deal. Jackson Ewell and Reggie Cannon may be aside. It's also a roster that has players, a, a number of players who have senior national team appearances, mm-hmm. but it's not a like, okay, we're calling them in to be a ringer for this competition. It's not a Tyler Adams being brought in yeah. or a Giovanni Reina, who we're going to assume was also maybe asked but not released. Um, that's that's it, confirmed. That's exactly yeah, what happened. This instead feels like a squad that has a lot of young players who are so exciting that they've already had a couple minutes with the senior team like and now they're going to yeah. play in the Olympics. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, Jesus Ferreira as well. You Liana's as well. So a lot of excitement in a way that I wasn't necessarily prepared to be excited. Yeah. The weird thing I was alluding to was the idea that the Olympics could be canceled. I mean, yeah, that's yeah. very, very possible, right? Yeah. The one, one final thing I'll say that's got me excited about this roster. Sure. Again, if you look at the 2015 roster, mm-hmm. it was a lot of, oh, Jordan Morris is fast. Jerome Kisavet is fast. God, Let's play balls for them. Let's play balls for them to run in behind and knock uh-huh. people off the ball, right? Let's attack those channels. In, yeah, it really was. Let's attack those channels mm-hmm. with two strikers who run in straight lines, right? I mean, Morris is a much better player now. I'm not sure Kisavetu is because I haven't seen much of him. But the creativity of guys like Ledesma and Pomacal and the, like, the movement of uh, Jesus Ferreira and the dribbling of like Yanez and Sosedo, it's a much more enjoyable team to watch, mm-hmm. fingers crossed. Would you say it's a, an attractive-looking team, a fashionable team? I mean... The only way they could look better is if they were wearing there we go. tuxedos. <laughs> uh, maybe if you win Olympic gold, you wear a tuxedo uh, to get your medal. I guess that's not usually wear a tracksuit. But if you're going to celebrate, you might want to wear a tux. The Black Tux believes every groom deserves a better experience when it comes to finding formal wear. Or, you know, if you've won, won the gold medal, maybe you want to wear a black tux too. Or just to celebrate your color. Yeah, there you go. Uh, yeah, exactly. Wear a tux to celebrate uh, the big day because, as we all know, if it's after six and you're not wearing a tux, you're automatically a farmer. That's Jack Donaghy logic right there. <laughs> What am I, a farmer? Um, the Black Tux was started by two guys who had one of the worst tuxedo fittings you oh. can imagine. Turns out they weren't alone in their frustration. Um, and there were lots of one-star reviews for um, other tux shops that shall not be named. Wow. The Black Tux is naming – it's not naming and shaming, but it's uh, – Naming reviews of other places. I will not name and shame anybody either. I will say that the last time I rented a tuxedo, the person at the store laughed at me because I was like, can I have one that fits a little bit better? And like I pointed to one and they're like, oh, no, you've got to buy that and be and have it tailored to you. I don't know what you're talking about. And I was like, you 
do you work on commission? What are you doing here? <laughs> so yes, I look forward to not being judged by the uh, the people in the store. No one judges you at the Black Turks. Mm-hmm. Instead, it's easy online ordering and the process brings you a suit or a tuxedo straight to your door. You pick a style at theblacktux.com and you get a free home try-on so you can feel the fit and quality before you commit. So whether Feel the fit before you commit. Whether you're buying your outfit or looking to rent, you won't find formal wear experience or designs like the ones you'll find at Black Tux, at the Black Tux, I should say. If you want your wedding to be remembered for the right reasons, order your suit or tuxedo at theblacktux.com and enjoy 10% off with the code SOCCER. There we go. That's blacktux.com with the code SOCCER for 10% off your purchase. The Black Tux, formal wear for the moment. I like that the uh, Black Tux copy has focused on weddings, but this is also what, like prom? Yep. Again, uh, CONCACAF Olympic qualifying Mm -hmm. (laughs) call-ups. Any any major event that deserves celebration. The the two, the three most obvious. Prom, wedding, CONCACAF Olympic qualifying call-up. There you go. There we go. The three (laughs) biggest events in any young man's life. Uh, Unless we're talking scoring goals in the Bundesliga, in which case that feels like it could be a pretty momentous event, specifically for Josh Sargent. So yeah, Josh Sargent scored for Werder Bremen this weekend in their 2-2 draw with Hertha Berlin. It's a really nice goal. Mm -hmm. I'm looking forward to talking about it. But he then also drew criticism from the Werder Bremen coach for the rest of his performance. Yeah, that's the kind of downside to it. So it's very up and down with Josh Sargent. But let's focus on the positive. He scored the opening goal in this game after three minutes. Or in the third minute. Talk us through it, Taylor Rockwell. I will, uh, because both this and the McKinney goal involve a decent amount of playing on the half turn. Uh, Sargent receives it kind of as he's turning, drives at the defense, cuts inside, recognizes that he's got the shooting opportunity, takes it with the left foot, puts it back across goal into the sort of side netting, but it's, it's well struck well hit uh, and, and a sequence that I think he def- definitely needed if you look at the way he reacts it definitely felt like a like finally I've done something yes he should rent a black text to sell it yeah exactly <laughs> so the things I like about this goal are one Sargent's recognition that there was a little bit of space available mm-hmm. you notice that in the build up it's kind of a Berlin turnover mm-hmm. right um, and as it turns over Sargent just looks seizes a little bit of space and wanders into it and then he makes himself available so that when um, it's Gabriel Selassie uh, plays it into uh, Bittencourt who can quickly lay it off because Sargent has found himself in that nice bit of space Mm -hmm. then he can drive at the defence the half turn you were talking about I find really interesting because it wasn't the perfect layoff from Bittencourt Mm -hmm. it was a little bit behind Sargent Mm -hmm. and Sargent does what I'd call almost a roulette to get himself facing the right direction and get the ball out in front of him that's some good quick thinking and good improvisational technique Mm -hmm. yeah and then I think I mean the awareness of he has passing options on and I think for a player who is in a poor run of form as he has been or isn't scoring, isn't really producing the way that I think maybe was expected, you would maybe expect or at least forgive him looking for a pass, looking for a through ball, looking to make kind of the smart option that doesn't risk ruining anything. And I think that he is still taking that shot, looking to score, has that determination to find his way onto the score sheet is a positive thing. It then makes me a little bit more curious about his coach's appraisal at the end. Yeah, though. he's not happy with his defensive effort. Mm-hmm. So it'll be really interesting to see if Sargent um, is selected to start the next game. Mm-hmm. Like, there might be a lesson of like, oh, great that you scored after three minutes. It's what you did with the other 87 minutes I'm not so happy with. Yeah. All right. A guy you can't accuse of a lack of effort. Nah. Weston McKenney. Yes. So Schalke also drew 1-1 with Hoffenheim, uh, but not for Weston McKenney's lack of trying. Yeah. Would McKenney you... opens a scoring in the 20th minute. Would you say this was the more impressive of the two goals? Yes. I, I think know, that would as well. I don't know why, but it definitely was. I think because Maybe because it... it's so rare for McKenney to score. It's definitely that. The second Bundesliga goal ever. Is that it? Yep. Wow. All right. Didn't know that one. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say, I think it's also the variety of things he's doing here, because in the lead up to it, it's sustained possession from Schalke, and it's Weston McKinney, as you've said, as you've alluded to, constantly 
constantly moving and mm-hmm. finding space and finding pockets. Similar. Yeah, and he and he's pulling people out of position, and it was some smart runs. What he then does is finds a little pocket of space, waits, makes the well-timed sprint into the, that that pocket for the kind of chipped ball in from John Joe Kenny. I learned from Everton. No yeah, less. and 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 McKinney brings it down like a la uh, Anthony Martial, like it's a cushion bring down, but he does that on the turn because yep. when he brings it down, he's facing away from goal, and by the time the ball is settled, he is now facing goal. That little bit of skill that allows the move to continue. It's not a touch backwards, kills the momentum of the sequence. He has to then play a lateral pass and there's no opportunity on. Instead, he's sort of found space and now found a defense that is maybe not expecting him to be facing goal, dribbling at them. Mm-mm. So, yeah, it was Kramerich that mm-hmm. he ran behind to begin with. Kramerich is trying to make up the, the and make a tackle the whole time, but McKinney does a great job yep. of just putting his body between Kramerich and the ball. And then it, he sort of accelerates laterally, right, yep. across the top of the box. And then, just like Sargent, shoots back across the way mm-hmm. he was coming with his less favoured left foot. Yeah. It's almost like they had a pact. McKenney yeah. and Sargent were like, all right, we're both going to score left-footed goals going against the grain today. But I really, I think the other reason why I liked McKenney USA more, on three. One, two, three, USA. USA. Uh, <laughs> we'll do it for them. Uh, but yes, everything you're saying is correct. It's, there's a lot of similarities. But I think McKenney's because he has three different players challenge him at different moments as he's making this dribble kind of across the top of the box. Yeah. But is very clearly in my mind, after you rewatch it, knows what he's doing the whole time. He knows I'm going to dribble central and then shoot back across. I'll put it into traffic. Maybe it takes a deflection, but I know that the goalkeeper is going to be cheating towards his right side because that's where he expects the shot to go if it's coming at all. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to put it the other way. Is the correct decision because it absolutely fools both the goalkeeper and the defenders, which I enjoyed all the more because he is under that level of pressure. I want Weston McKinney to add goals to his game. Yeah. Uh, not least because I we've heard from we, maybe we shouldn't name them but we've heard from two different mm-hmm. um, very experienced footballers. I was, I was thinking about one of those people recently, yep. um, who both said that like he's pretty good at lots of little things, Weston McKenney, but he doesn't have like one major. Here's his attribute that you can always rely on. And jack like, of all trades, master of none. Yeah, jack of all trades, master of none. And I think if he could become a goal scoring midfielder, which he absolutely could be, right? Mm-hmm. He could become a goal scoring midfielder who always pops up at the back post with a header, for example. He often does pop up at the back post mm-hmm. with a header, but then that header goes back across goal and someone misses yep. or he heads it wide or over. You know what I mean? It's not mm-hmm. that finishing thing isn't quite there. If he became someone who charged around midfield, connected lots of passes, and popped up and scored a lot, then you could suddenly say that's McKenney's thing. Or, He's or, the master of that. Yeah, or popped up and scored like in the way that you need that sort of veteran presence to do. And we equate him a lot with Jermaine Jones in the kind of energy and dynamism and running yeah. and, and everything like else he brings. Jermaine Jones. Yeah, and I think of the chemistry, <laughs> the chemistry as well is in there too. But you think about Jermaine Jones, like the goal against Portugal uh, yeah. in the World Cup, which is the rifled shot at a time when it was absolutely necessary. Yeah, I'd be fine with Weston McKinney scoring a few more of those. That'd be fine with me. <laughs> I know it's a really obvious thing to say, like I hope this midfielder just starts scoring a bunch of goals. But I think what I'm more saying is I hope Weston McKenney just starts to have um, an identifiable major trait yeah. that isn't win some headers in midfield. Yeah, because that's, that's not quite enough, right? Uh, no, I you mean can... not not for us in terms of what we're talking about. Maybe it is for uh, Wagner at, uh, at at Schalke, but it's we the, shall see. Well, it's the thing that Berhalter always points to. Yep. Is he wins a lot of headers mm-hmm. in midfield. Um, anyway, well, that's uh, the dream. McKenney ends up uh, Schalke tying one one. I don't think they're going to make the Champions League. No, uh, but still a much better season for Schalke so far under Wagner. This is true. This is true. U.S. Women's National Team. Mm-hmm. Final segment. Also in action in the She Believes Cup. Mm-hmm. Um, so we talked about the um, U.S.-England game, what, last week? Yep. We had at least one email mentioning that we didn't really describe the She Believes Cup. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm going to do a quick explanation of the She Believes Cup. So it's a 
friendly-ish tournament that doesn't get tre- – it's somewhere between a friendly and a yeah. real serious tournament, right? Um, where the U.S. invites three deliberately really good teams to come and compete for the She Believes Cup on U.S. soil. What's really interesting is France are doing the same thing with Le Tournois. Have you mm. seen that? France has invited three teams. I think the Netherlands, two other teams, kind of, yeah, to get competitive action and maybe make a little cash. Mm-hmm. Um, so the US, um, beating them last week, played Spain on Sunday night, won 1 0 with an 87th minute Juliet's header. Mm-hmm. But Spain really, really gave the US a run for their money. Yep. Yeah. No, when you say they give them a run for the money, what specifically do you mean? Because so, I, this didn't feel like a game in which Spain really caused the United States a lot of problems in terms of the U.S. defense. It felt to me like a game in which Spain gave the U.S. problems in that the United States really struggled to find a way through. Yes. Well, I would say the weird thing is I very rarely see the U.S. outpossessed mm-hmm. and, can't, and unable to win the ball back. Yeah. So, and I've got to be honest, I haven't seen the entire game. I've seen chunks of this game mm-hmm. and the goal. A lot of the chunks I saw were Spain essentially tiki-tackering around yeah. and holding onto the ball. And when they, when the U.S. would win it back, I saw Spain counter-press yeah. and win it back. Mm-hmm. And then Spain would have the ball for long, long stretches. And the U.S., I think, showed a lot of respect to Spain. They didn't go full press because I think they would have got sort of sliced through if they'd gone like stretched out and tried to get them. They stayed in a 4-1, 4-1, round about the halfway line and tried to win the ball back, uh, tried to win the ball back that mm-hmm. way. I mean, how many teams do you think the United States has played who are like technically good enough, like in the last year, technically good enough to be able to play that tiki-taka, keep the ball moving, not really get caught in possession, not make foolish mistakes, not give the ball right back to the United States. There are not many. I know. I didn't, and I didn't think Spain were that good yeah. either. Because I remember when we played them in the World Cup, didn't they end up just going super defensive? Mm-hmm. And that was their plan to yeah. play the United States? So maybe this is like Spain Spain progressing and like this is the next level of what we're doing is we're going to play against the world champions and we're going to hold on to the ball. And, and as I recall, Spain caused problems for the United States in that yeah. one. That's the one where I think it's like the phantom free kick that's given that from VAR that maybe shouldn't have been given that leads to a goal and it kind of changes things there. I can't it, remember, but I trust you. It was still in that phase of like, the United States hasn't really played anybody that impressive I and see. whatever. Um, but I think it makes sense then that if you're Spain, like we've had this uh, with, with some of our like men's league teams, not the same as playing for a national team, I get it. But like, if you are technically inferior, one of the ways you can kind of counterbalance a little bit is by running very hard, m- like marking everybody, making sure you're covered and pressing a lot. And I think that sort of can negate some of the technical ability, especially if maybe the United States in this case is not expecting that to be the case and is therefore not up for that level of running, that level of physicality, that level of, oh, now we've got to hustle to get that ball back as opposed to eventually the team's just going to kick it long and then we'll reestablish. Yeah, it's just rare for the U.S. to have to chase and not always get the ball back, right? I saw a few times Rose Lavelle would come out of the 4-1-4-1 and go in pressure and Spain would exploit the space that she just left. I think Spain is becoming really a team to fear. And yet, Mm -hmm. and yet the U.S. still beat them 1-0 with an 87th minute Juliet's goal. And I think that is the key thing about the US. They are still ruthless. Yes. I mean, I think number one, Spain don't have Juliet's. So right there, yeah. I already feel better. Uh, number two, <laughs> yes, the United States is still the United States and they will do everything they can to find a way to win. And I do feel like the player that exemplifies that, maybe not to the highest degree because that might be Carly Lloyd, is second to Carly Lloyd is Julia Ritz in my <laughs> mind. And I very much enjoyed this goal because it, it felt a bit more like throw the kitchen sink, but in this case, an unmarked Julia Ertz and we'll make something happen. <laughs> Before we talk about the actual goal, do you mind if we talk a little about the build-up? Sure. Um, long ball from Liz and Aya. 
Samuels um, mm-hmm. aerial win. Or it might have been Lindsay Horan at this point. I'm not sure. Um, th- Lindsay Horan was in, but I can't remember who wins it. Tall midfielder, yep. aerial win. <laughs> and then Christian Press with a nice ball over the top for Lynn Williams to chase down. Yep. And I believe she gets tackled, but then she's up and at it and uh, like puts the second challenge in. That's how the US wins the free, crick, mm. free kick Excuse mm-hmm. me. that Christian Press stands over to take. And prove me wrong that Megan Rapinoe is the only player that can deliver free kicks. <laughs> it's a Christian Press free kick yeah. that Juliet heads home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and from that angle, that does make sense. You want the right footer on it. Yeah, uh, but in swinger, right? Yeah, and, and it's a great... It's a great ball in, but again, it's Julia. It's unmarked like 25 yards from goal is when she starts that run. If you're Spain, I feel like you have to kind of put bodies because she's basically uncontested on the run in. Yeah. And is the key thing there, it's not just that no one is on her and so she's allowed a free header. It's also that because no one is on her early, she can adjust her run and kind she, of get in the exact right spot. She never gets a bump. She never yeah. gets knocked out of position. She, she always has the tracking run she needs. I want to say she starts from deep in that sort of sprinter's crouch that she yeah. does. Oh, sometimes. she's like 25 yards out, but unmarked for and sure. And then she attacks. Yep. Are they going zone? I actually can't I, remember. I believe they are. So it might have been problem, that hybrid right? zone, but there's definitely people waiting to absorb that run from her. It's yeah. just by the time she's there, she's already at full speed blowing past them into the exact spot she wants to be for that ball to be delivered into the goal. 1-0 USA. Mm-hmm. So the US plays um, Japan in its final, she believes, cup game. I believe a draw is good enough because the US already has six points, right? Um, I think um, Spain and England have both beaten Japan and lost to the US and they play each other in the final game. Right in your faces, other teams. In your faces, other teams. As long as we don't lose heavily to Japan and then, yeah, and then lose this whole thing on goal difference, mm-hmm. but we can draw and win back the She Believes Cup. Yeah, win it back from England. Yeah, we win got it back a, from England. Are, yeah. are they going to sing "We Got Our Trophy Back"? Because I feel like they should. Maybe. Do you know that England uh, sang "I Believe That We Will Win" after they won the she did Believes they? Cup? They did. Yeah. And yet they had the audacity to be mad about Alex Morgan pretending to drink tea. Yeah, it's it's almost a rivalry, but England seem to have like fallen off a cliff a little bit, and Spain are climbing up. I'm sure we're your rivals. That's true. What's that? I'm sure we are England's rivals. Yes, that's true. <laughs> we can't just beat up on Scotland. <laughs> I mean, you can and have historically. There we go. Um, yeah, so the US versus Japan is your yep. final game of the She Believes Cup um, for the United States. Mm-hmm. Anything else, Taylor? We've talked about all kinds of things I, on I today's show. I feel like show. we've done plenty. One like hour and 15. That's a, that's a good show with lots in it, I'm going to yep. say. Yeah. Um, we'll be back on Tuesday with Champions League review. It's RB Leipzig versus Spurs, the second leg of that. And Atalanta will see out their victory over Valencia. We would assume. That's we'll be bringing our customary brevity to that uh, review show as well. Unless it's a massive Valencia comeback, but it won't be. Because Atalanta are too good. They're the best. They certainly are, right? They're the best. Uh, what's his name? Gomez? Papu Gomez. Papu Gomez. He's going to have a field day as Valencia tried to score. Gomez Gomez and Ilicic. Those are the two to keep an eye on. Oh, um, And then also we're going to have MLS Assist should publish in the next 24 hours. It'll be your full Major League Soccer review with uh, Joe Lowry and Jordan Angeli. It shall be indeed, my Taylor friend. Rockwell, thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. Right back at you, buddy. Listeners, thank you for listening, and we will talk to you again very soon. 